uh, in the last chapter of Acts, in the final verses of Acts, we find that Paul is preaching at Rome, even though he is under guard. Uh, the, he, wanted, he wanted to appeal to Caesar. And so he uses this opportunity, nonetheless, even under guard, to preach the gospel, to receive people, and meet, meet with people and declare to them uh, the kingdom of God and, and convince them about Jesus from the law and from the prophets. And then we read in the last uh, chapter of Acts, some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave Paul after he made this final statement. And then he again quotes the scripture and says, uh, you are like the people of which Isaiah spoke, hearing but never understanding, seeing but never perceiving. So this is the context, this is the situation in which Paul finds himself in prison, or not necessarily in prison, but under uh, the guard, a prison guard of some sort. And yet he uses that nonetheless to preach the gospel of the kingdom and to, to declare the good news about Jesus Christ. So now we're going to read the... Now, this, these were the, this was the testimony of Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. And now we're going to read the first 17 verses of Romans chapter 1. And these are the words of the Apostle Paul. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ Jesus, calling called to be an apostle, and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his human nature, was a descendant of David, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all who are in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong, that is, that you and I may be spiritually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I plan many times to, to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles." I am obligated both to Greeks 
and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is, that is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the, for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in, it the gospel, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Congregation beloved of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have before us this evening a text that is very familiar, Romans 1, verse 16, and then also 17, but particularly verse 16, where the apostle says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So the Apostle Paul, when he is in Rome, makes it very clear at the very outset of the book of Romans what the theme of his book is, and we see that theme here, and that is that he is there to preach the gospel. He is there in Rome to preach the gospel. And he reminds the church in Rome that it is a powerful gospel. It is a gospel that cannot be easily dismissed. It is the gospel that cuts to the very heart of our existence. It is a gospel that deals with life and with death. It is a gospel that deals with life here on earth and with eternity. And so when Paul preaches the gospel... He is touching on the very root of who we are and what we must believe in order to be saved. Now, even though this is a familiar text, we say that we see that it is very often ignored. It is ignored or, or somehow compromised because we find that in some churches the gospel is not enough. What we need is also tradition. So that if we want to be saved, we must heed the gospel, certainly. It is important. But we also must look to the tradition of the church. Now, I think tradition is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with tradition in and of itself. But... Tradition must be based on the gospel. Tradition must be based on the word of God. And if tradition is based on some sort of human experience, and it is placed alongside the gospel in its importance in the life of the church, then it is abuse of tradition. 
Tradition does not save. Tradition does not, does not redeem us. It is only the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ that brings salvation, and we learn of that through the gospel. Through the gospel. And when we look at the apostle, when he comes to the Church of Rome and states right in the very opening verses of this chapter, when we look at what he is saying here, we see that Paul is not getting sidetracked. Paul is dealing with the very basics and fundamentals of what it means to be a Christian. What is the Christian faith all about? And when one thinks of it, that could have been could have been very tempting for Paul. Could have been very tempting for Paul to talk about a lot of other things. When he went to Rome, he could have talked about the power of Caesar and the abuse of power. He could have talked about other issues. He could have talked about Roman imperialism. He could have talked about uh, the brutality of the Roman judicial system. He could have talked about Roman citizenship or slavery in the Roman Empire. He could have talked about all kinds of things. We should abolish crucifixion as a capital punishment. There were all kinds of issues that he could have dealt with. But the apostle says, that's not why I am here. I am going to preach the gospel. And when the gospel goes forth, it changes hearts, it changes lives. And as we see in the course, we have seen in the course of history, it changes societies. When the word of God takes root and bears fruit in a society, things change. And so I want to consider with you, first of all, what the, what the apostle says this evening about the gospel in the words of our text. The first thing he says and notes is that it is a powerful gospel. It is the power of God to salvation. The second thing we note is that it is a saving gospel. It is a saving gospel. It is through the gospel that we may be brought and introduced to salvation. Faith does not exist in a vacuum. We are suddenly not struck by something and become mature Christians. Faith not, does not exist in a vacuum. Faith is always tied to God's word. It's not tied, first of all, to our feelings. It's not tied to, to a, a worldly knowledge. It's not tied to some kind of mystic, well, I believe out there there's, there's some higher power. True faith is always tied to the word. So it's a saving gospel. And last of all, it is a transformational gospel, a transforming gospel. 
the good news of salvation by grace through faith transforms people, transforms society, and transforms the world. A powerful gospel, a saving gospel, and the transformational gospel. Now when we look at this text, we see that the gospel is, first of all, a saving gospel. I am persuaded, I am convinced of the gospel, and I am not ashamed of this gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. You know, the word for power that is used here in this text, the Greek word, is dunamis. It is the dunamis of God. Now that word dunamis is the root word for the word dynamite. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, says the Apostle Paul, because it is the dynamite of God. It, is, it comes with power, and it comes with the power of God. The gospel is the most powerful force here on earth. You know, we think in terms of power, we think in terms of military power, economic power, but that's nothing compared to the power of God which is expressed through the gospel. It is the word of life. You know, we really can't appreciate the gospel unless we understand the context in which we receive it. The word gospel means good news. Now, good news is received in a certain context. Good news is received when there's bad news. And if you experience hard times or bad news in your life, you're ready for some good news. And so when the gospel goes forth, it is received as good news in the context of bad news. The Heidelberg Catechism expresses that in the opening, uh, opening questions 3 to 11 in the Catechism, huh? Uh, we live in a world of bad news. Since the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise, we find there's an awful lot of bad news in this world. And there's a lot of bad news in our lives, uh, we realize how life is, earthly life is temporary. We're experiencing uh, all kinds of things. The older we get, the more we experience different things. And, and we see tragedy in our life. We see heartache. We see death. <clears throat> and we say, that's a lot of bad news. A lot of bad news that, that we may encounter in our lives. And you see some people experience more bad news than others. Uh, but the root of the bad news in our lives is that we are all sinners. We are all sinners. The Catechism, you know, is based, the outline of the Heidelberg Catechism is based on the Book of Romans. The first part of the Catechism deals with our sin and misery. 
It deals with our sin and misery. And, and so how do we know about our sin and misery? How do we know about the truth of the human condition? <clears throat> well, we know about it from the law of God. <coughs> Take a look at the law. In the law of God, we find a mirror for our lives. God, as it were, is holding up a mirror for us and saying, take a good look at yourself. Take a real, real good look at yourself. Take a good look at yourself and say, is this the way I am living rightly before God? And we have to admit, we have to admit we all fall far short of God's law. Far short. You know, I'm always astounded by people that believe in free will. We have a free will. Some people believe by having a free will. We can somehow, we can somehow live perfect lives. We are free. Well, you have a free will. Do you believe in Christ? Yes, I do. I'm a Christian. I believe. Well, for the next 24 hours, don't sin. Don't have a sinful thought. I mean, if you can act freely, you ought to be able to refrain from sin. And we see that a person can't do that. It's just impossible. We sin in word and thought and deed. That's why we have to constantly pray for forgiveness. And so the apostle says, what is the way out? What is the good news? Can we keep this law perfectly? The catechism says, no, by nature we are inclined to hate God and our neighbors. And so what is the good news of the gospel? What does it save us? What are we saved from in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we are saved from the wrath of God. Now, I don't, people don't think of that so often. Huh? Talk about the wrath of God, that's it's a strange concept in the modern ecclesiastical world, that we are under the wrath of God. <clears throat> you know, people speak of God as their friend or as, as this wonderful presence somewhere that looks after them and that cares for them and, and et cetera, et cetera. God of love. They love, love to talk about that and indeed we did this morning and that's true. But we can't appreciate the love of God and first, unless we first have some concept of the wrath of God. The worst enemy that we could possibly have in this world the worst enemy, and we're surrounded with enemies. Huh? There's sicknesses, there's diseases, there's this virus floating around. People can get, maybe die from it. All kinds of enemies, enemies that are seen, enemies that are not seen. We live in a dangerous world. But you know the worst enemy you could possibly have? Well, the worst enemy is God. 
Psalmist had that, huh? Psalmist notes that, huh? Whither shall I flee from thy spirit? Uh, if I go take the wings of the morning, go to the utter, uttermost parts of the sea, even there you'll find me. We are under the wrath of God. And so when we talk about the saving power of the gospel, we find something that breaks through that bad news, that testifies of our Lord Jesus Christ, true God, true man, perfectly obedient, who fulfilled the law perfectly, is perfectly righteous, who offers his life on the altar of the cross for the sins of his people. Raised again from the dead, the power of that gospel, the power of the life and work of our Lord Jesus Christ is confirmed in his resurrection. It's confirmed in his resurrection because what is the last enemy that we must face? Well, the last enemy is death itself. And Christ is the one who has, by his blessed resurrection, conquered that enemy and has given us the victory. That's the good news. You know, the canons of Dort make a, there's a little phrase in there that when a person comes to faith, it is a miracle as great, it is a miracle as great as when a person is raised from the dead, or a miracle as great as the very creation itself. And when that gospel goes forth, it goes forth not by the authority of the preacher, it goes forth not even by the authority of the church, but ultimately it goes forth by the authority of the one who possesses the all authority, when it goes forth in the power of the Holy Spirit, it goes forth with the power of Christ himself. Paul notes that in Corinthians, in Corinthians 1, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that attention is drawn to me, says Paul, lest the cross be emptied of its power. So it is a powerful gospel. Second thing we note is that it is a saving gospel. And by that we mean it is saving insofar as it points to Christ. Paul says very clearly, I have come to preach Christ and him crucified. You know, the Greek word for <clears throat> salvation is soteria, soteria. And that word really means a place of safety, a place of, of soundness, a place of security. Now, theologically, you know, that can, that, that can encompass many elements, justification, sanctification, redemption, glorification, forgiveness, all kinds of things fit into that, that idea of safety, that salvation is a place, being saved is finding safety, 
And where do we find safety? We find safety in Christ. The Catechism notes that, doesn't it? What is your only comfort? First question and answer the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort? You know that word comfort comes from the Latin word comfortus. It means with, <clears throat> with security. Uh, fortis is a, the root word for a fort. A fort is a place of security. Uh, if you want to find security, well, you look for a safe place. And, and if you were out in the prairies of the West, they built forts. People could go there and find security. So a fort is a place of security. And where can I find security? Where can I find safety? And that is in Christ. I can find safety in the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I can find safety in believing in him, in trusting him. You see, there is no safe hiding place from the wrath of God that can be found apart from the finished work of Christ. So the gospel that is announced to the world is this. Where can you find safety? Where can you find security? Where can you find hope? And the answer to that is in Christ. In Christ. So the gospel is a gospel that is a gospel of power and to those that believe it is a gospel that is a saving gospel. And last of all, the gospel is a transforming gospel. That is, when the gospel goes forth, people change. When the gospel goes forth, it does not go forth in vain, but it bears fruit. And that fruit brings about change in people's lives, and it brings about change in society. And when you see that change, when you see people put their trust in Christ and, and place their hope in what he has done and look to him, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. When we see that change, it sometimes takes us by surprise because we see it in places where we might least expect it. When I was in the Ukraine, there were times when you'd see people come to the seminary there that we were teaching in, and and they had stories to tell that were hard to believe. People that had been raised in Ukrainian orphanages. And when you were raised in an orphanage, it was not a good place to be. The 
little children are placed around tables and uh, they are fed and you go around the table, the nurse would just spoon food in your mouth, go to the next one, food in your mouth, go to the next one. If you were in a crib and crying, no one would come to you because there wasn't enough help. And very soon in your life you would know that crying didn't help because no one would pay any attention. If you were learning to walk, you would be tied to the crib because they didn't want you walking out the door. And when you were 15 years old, you were turned out into the streets to fend for yourself. And you would be given from the government something like $3 a month to live on. Extremely difficult lives. And then you come with the gospel and you say, you know, there's something better in store. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Change your way of life. And when you'd see lives transformed, it's amazing, it's amazing. And you realize the gospel is powerful. Certainly the Apostle Paul recognized that, huh? Staunch enemy of Christians. And yet by God's grace, he's transformed on the road to Damascus. The Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, well, the Greeks, you know, they placed their hope in wisdom. They prided themselves on being uh, educated people. We trust human wisdom, human knowledge. The Roman Empire, they trusted the power of the state. We rely on power. And that became tied to religion so that early Christians lived in a world where you were required to say, Caesar is Lord. And these early Christians refused to do that. Many of them paid for that with their lives. We're not confessing that Caesar is Lord because there is only one Lord, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Roman Empire is transformed. So after 300 years of the gospel going forth, we see under Emperor Constantine that it becomes the religion of the empire and goes forth throughout the world. The gospel is a powerful gospel. And the apostle says it is not only, it is not only for the Jews, but you people in Rome, you non-Jews, you Gentiles, it is for you too. Because in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from beginning to end, from the first to the last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And so we stand at the threshold of another year. 
And each of us must ask ourselves, how are we going to live in the coming year? What are our goals for the coming year? What does God call us to do in the coming year? We don't know what the new year will hold. We don't know what's going to come. But this we do know, that God is faithful and that he calls each of us to live by faith, to look to him day by day, to trust in him, to walk in the light and power of his word and to find in him salvation fully and freely given in our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we do that, we will indeed have a prosperous and happy new year. Amen. O oh Lord our God, we give thanks for your word. We give thanks for the power of the gospel that it is indeed a saving word that points us to the one who has offered himself on the cross for our salvation. And so we pray, O oh Lord, that we may walk in the light of your word, may it shed light on our path, may it be a guide for our way, so that day by day we may look to the Lord Jesus Christ and find in him all that we need for our salvation. Hear us now, for it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.